Anybody happy this morning? Thank you. I'm so happy this morning. I woke up just happy, just thrilled with God and thrilled with this church and thrilled with you and loving you. I got all these warm, fuzzy feelings in me and just love you so much. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, open with me, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to continue in this series that the Lord's had us in since the beginning of the year. Many members, one body. Didn't Sarah do an awesome job over the last several weeks? Amen. Amen. I'm telling you what the Lord said to her and through her. It's so needed for this church, so powerful. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and get it. These are words that we're going to build this church on. And without realizing it, uh, she helped me see that really what this whole study is that we're in together is a study in the love of God. And I've, I've wondered this for years. I've toyed around with the idea of experimenting on a church. <laughs> what would happen if you took a year and you did nothing else but focus on the love of God? What, what if you said nothing else besides he loves us? And you look for every imaginable way to say it, articulate it, express it, man, what would happen to us? What would happen to us? You're going to see today exactly what would happen to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul writing by the Spirit of God said, for as the body is one and has how many members? Many, many members. But all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Notice how many times he's saying this over and over. Many members, many members, one body. He said in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? In other words, does your foot get to make that call? Does, does any particular member of your body ever get to speak up and make a decision and say, I'm done with you. I'm out of here. I'm no longer part of this body. No, he said it doesn't get to make that decision. It's still part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye. I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Could your ear develop eye envy? Well, I'm out of here. He gets to be an eye. I, don't, I just get to be this ear stuck over here on the side. Forget this. I'm done. He said, if your ear said that, would it, would it not be part of the body? No, it's part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, weird, but where would the hearing be. If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Notice this in verse 18. Now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as it pleased him, just as he 
pleased. There's a reason your eyes are where they are. There's a reason your ears are where they are. There's a reason your hand and your foot and your arm and your leg, there's a reason they are where they are. Yes, it's the evolutionary biology. You see, as we developed and aged over billions of years, oh, shut up. <laughs> no, there's a reason your members are where they are. And the reason is it pleased God to put them there. He has set the members where it pleases him. Verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are, say it with me, many members yet one body. One more time. There are many members yet one body. Now, of course, the Spirit of God is speaking through Paul, and he's not just writing to that church. He's writing to the body of Christ, then the body of Christ, now the body of Christ forever. This is revelation for the eternal body of Christ. But in addition to that, it's revelation not only for the body, but for this body. And we have a word from the Lord about this year and the foreseeable future of this church. It's grow time. I said, it's grow time. We've been doing some sowing over the last couple of years and watering of that word, but it is God who gives the increase. And I believe it's grow time around here. And that's why you and I have come into agreement with each other concerning the growth of this place, asking the Lord to send us the people that he would assign to be a part of this family. We know that not everybody is supposed to be in this church or one church, but there are people that the Lord has called to be a part of this family, and we want them here. Amen. Amen. So whether they're people from these communities whether they're people from across this state, around this nation, or from other places around the world. doesn't matter who they are or where they are. If they're supposed to be a part of this family, we're believing God that they'll make their way here. I'm, we're believing God. He'll do the same thing he did for them or for us. That, sorry. He'll do the same thing for them that he did for so many of us. He got us here. And a lot of us, it took a whole series of miracles to get here. It did for us. I know it did for many of you, but he did that. And if he did it for you, he can do it for them. But there's an added truth here that we've got to focus on. We cannot just be focused on many members, many members, many members. Oh, we want many members. We want every seat filled. We want this place full and overflowing. Yes, we do. Why? Because empty seats don't get saved. Empty seats don't get healed. Empty seats don't get their marriages restored. Come on, are you hearing me? So yeah, absolutely we do. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if a church has 50 people or 5,000. You cannot impress God with a big attendance on Sunday morning. There is no number that you could put up in the face of God where he would go, whoa, whoa are you kidding me? There's no big number that would impress him. Neither is a small one that would depress him. You can't say to God, oh God, there was only 50 people here. Ah, he's not going to cry with you. He doesn't care how big or small the number is. What he cares about is, are the members living like one body? And if you got 500 of them, if you've got 5,000 of them, well, okay, fine. Are they one body? Or is it just a room full of body parts? 
Because a room full of body parts is not effective. God's not impressed with it, and Satan's not scared of it. Satan is not scared of a big church if all they are is a room full of body parts. But I'll tell you what terrifies him is when many members become one body. And in that respect, he doesn't care if you got 5,000. Could, there could be a, a room full of 5,000. And yet across town, this little church of 50 just scares him. <laughs> Why? Because they're acting like a body. They're thinking like a body. They're living and believing like a body. You really want to mess them up? Get 5,000 of us that start believing we're a body. Start living, thinking, acting like we're one body. Many members, but one body. And here's the big difference between us and the rest of this world. You've heard people say this before. Maybe you've even said it. I just wish I knew my place in this world. What's my place in this world? But let me tell you something. Believers don't talk like that. Believers don't think like that. You are not looking for your place in this world. What you are looking for is your place in the body. Your place in the body. To look for your place in the world is to ask the world to give you your identity. To look for your place in, in, in a godless world is to give that world the power to name you. To tell you who you are and what you are and to set limits in your life. That's why you're not looking for your place in this world. You're looking for your place in this body. What's my place in the body of Christ? I'm going to find my identity there because once I find my place, then I'll find my grace. That thing God's given me to do. And people get this backwards so much of the time. They're looking for what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? But if you will find your place, so often your place will tell you and inform you of your grace. I don't wonder what this hand is for. I know what this hand is for. I know what this hand is grace to do. And the indicator of that grace comes just from knowing its place. It's, it's where it is for a reason. Because I got to reach out and grab a hold of stuff. Because I got to get a firm grip on some things sometimes. And you know what? When I try to do it with my foot, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. And this is the source of so much frustration in people's lives. Trying to do something in a place they're not called into. Trying to do something without a grace that it takes to do it. There's a reason I don't walk around on my hands. They're not graced to hold me up. That grace belongs to my feet. How do I know that? Look where they are. Their place reveals their grace. When you find out your place, the next thing you find out is your grace. It was um, Christmas, Christmas Eve this year. A lot of you were here for our Christmas Eve service. It was a sweet service. We had a good time in worship and in the Word. And all our kids were in here with us. And we just spent about an hour. It was a wonderful time. When we got done, we dismissed everybody. We had milk and cookies in the lobby. Uh, but before one of the kids went out to the lobby, he's actually one of our, the kids of one of our staff members. 
he came up to me. I was right about here. Hadn't even made it off stage yet. He came up to me and he said, you need to make up a rhyme. I said, a rhyme? What are you talking about? He said, a rhyme. He said, you had a rhyme last year. In 2022, you'll know what to do. You need a rhyme. You need a rhyme for 2023. And he turned and walked away. I was like, yes, Lord, is this you? And you know, I didn't, it really didn't stick with me until a few days later, I was in my office at home just seeking the Lord, praying about this year. And I remembered what little Eli said to me, you need a rhyme. And I kid you not, without trying to make something up, I wouldn't think what rhymes, it just hit me like this. In 2023, you'll know where to be. You'll know exactly where you're supposed to be. Glory to God. So you can thank God and that 12-year-old, 11-year-old for that big time revelation right there. In 2023, I'll know where to be. How about you? Can you say it in 2023? I'll know where to be. What are we talking about? Your place, your place in the body. Now here's the deal. If you hadn't found it yet, don't get depressed. Don't get frustrated. Don't get upset. Just stay with it. Actually, there's two keys, I believe, to finding your place in the body of Christ when you don't know it. Number one, stay full of faith. Satan would love nothing more than to whisper in your ear. This is, you don't fit here. You don't belong here. You don't bring anything to the table. You ought to just leave here. No, that's not us. We're to stay in faith. Even when you don't yet know what the place is, you stay in faith. God's got a place for me. I am not a throwaway part. I'm not an extra part. I'm not a useless part. I am needed in this body of Christ. You stay in faith. You stay full of faith. And what else? You stay faithful. Oh, I don't know if you heard me. These two things right here are going to help you find your place in the body this year. You stay full of faith and you stay faithful. What's that mean? It means when you've been given a little something to do, Treat it like it's a lot and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. And don't bail on it. Don't back off it. Don't minimize it. Don't belittle it like it's insignificant. But when your church calls on you or, or, or uh, whoever God's connected you to gives you opportunity to serve somewhere in the kingdom of God, I don't care if it's holding a door open. You get excited about it and you do it week in and week out with a smile on your face. Maybe you're not going to stand there and hold the door for the rest of your life, but if you'll be faithful with a little, you'll be made ruler over much. This is how you find your place in the body. Say amen if you believe it. Go to the book of Ephesians with me. Lord, help me. I've already taken too much time. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read several verses here. Beginning in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 4, he says, there is one body. I want you to notice how many times he uses the word one and how familiar this is to what we've read in 1 Corinthians 12 already. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
Don't you just love it when the Spirit of God gets carried away? He just starts preaching. There's one God. How many gods are there? One God. There's one Father. How many fathers do we have? One Father. Who is, he's the Father of all, who's above all, and through all, and in you all. But notice verse 7. He said, but to each one. So there's a contrast here. Yes, there is one body. Yes, there is one Lord, one Spirit, one God, and one Father, one faith. But just like he said in 1 Corinthians 12, there's many members. He's saying the same thing here. But to each one, talking about us, to each one of us was given, excuse me, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Who got grace? Each one. Each one of us. Got grace. Every single one of us, every single part, every single member of the body got a grace. You got a grace. And you got a grace. And you got a grace. Anybody remember that episode of Oprah a few years back? When everybody in the congregation, uh, congregation, audience, remember that? You got a car. And you get a car. And you get a car. Well, I'm standing in front of you this morning saying, you get a grace, and you get a grace, and you get a grace, and you get a grace. And some of you are sitting there going, I'd rather have a car. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You'd rather have this grace. You'd rather have this grace, this gift of God. Somebody say, I'd rather have the grace. To each one was given grace. Now, fast forward. He's going to tell you about some of these gifts. He says in verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Why were we given these gifts and these graces? Well, here's why. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work or so that the saints could do the work of the ministry. You need some equipping to do the work and the job God's called you to do. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. Other translations use the word perfecting of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a, and here's this word again, perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children. That we should no longer be children. He was not writing this to the children's church of Ephesus. He's writing this to the grown-ups, to big church. Would you have to write to grown-ups and say, grow up? Would you have to write to a room full of adults and say, you need to grow up? And he's saying this is the result of sitting under these ministry gifts, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's a number of things happening every time we come together around the word. And really what we're doing right now is answering this question, why church? Why church? And there's a lot of people that have fooled themselves, deceived themselves into saying, I'm good with Jesus. It's religion I don't like. What you're trying to say is, I'm good with God. I don't need church. But if you're not sitting under these gifts from God, again, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, then you're not getting equipped. You're out there trying to do your job without the equipment to do it. 
You're not getting edified, built up. There's no perfecting taking place. And guess what? You're a child. Oh, man, that went over so good. Did you feel it? If you're not receiving from these gifts and these graces, it's keeping you childish. And he says, we need to grow up that we'd no longer be children. And here's one of the big indicators you're a child. Tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Have you noticed this about children? They're not exactly a picture of emotional stability, are they? And that's okay because they're children. They're a child. Again, he's not writing this to the children's church. I'm not speaking this morning to the children's church. It's okay to be a child when you're a child. But he said that we would no longer be children. Now, here's one of the big indicators you're still childish. Tossed to and fro. Back and forth. Up and down. Good then bad. Happy then sad. This is an indicator of some childish things that are still hanging around. And we know this about our children. Man, they can go from zero to 60, can't they? They can go from happy, happy, happy to sad, 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 right back to happy, happy, happy in just a few seconds. They're not a picture of stability. They're not a a picture of what it means to be even keeled and stable. He said that we'd no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then he talked about the, the cunning craftiness and the trickery of men. That's another thing about kids. They believe anything. They'll believe anything anybody tells them. This is why we had whole generations of younger brothers and sisters that believed for years they were adopted. Why? Because they got older brothers and sisters that came along and said, don't tell mom I told you this, but we just found you. Yeah, you're not even related. Now, don't tell mom I told you. Yeah, we just found you and, and we don't know who your real parents are. No, uh yeah, uh-uh, uh-huh, really? Uh-huh. Believe anything. Believe anything. And that's okay for a while. But he's talking to us about growing up. He said that we would no longer be children But verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. See, now he's talking about the body, talking about Jesus, the head, from whom, verse 16, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, that just means the power by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the perfecting, the building up of itself in love. And see, this is what Sarah brought to us over the last several weeks and the revelation that this body will grow, but it'll grow by love. It's love that causes the body to grow. For lack of a better word, love is our our steroid. (laughs) 
Love is what's just going to get us jacked up, man. I mean, it's the love of God working in us, working through us, on display in us. Love is what's going to build this body. But remember, he's connecting it to what happens through these gifts, these graces of these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The perfecting building of the body. Will you bring me that book, please? This is a book by a man named Rick Renner, who is, who is on his way to see us, as you've heard already today. Rick's going to be with us next week, Pastor Rick. And guess who else is going to be here next week? You are. And uh, I, I dug into this book. This is a 733-page book called Apostles and Prophets, their roles in the past, the present, and the last days. It's like a college textbook. And I dug into this thing a week ago, two weeks ago, and I finally finished chapter one. Um, <laughs> I feel like that, that says more about my reading than it does Rick's writing, because it's really powerful. But I want to read some things to you in preparation of him coming next week. And, and this has everything to do with what we're talking about. Do you mind if... Story time with pastor today, is that okay? Let me read to you about uh, what we're studying here in Ephesians chapter four. Rick says this um, in chapter one. After Paul listed the fivefold ministry gifts, he went on to state in Ephesians 4.12 that they were given by Jesus for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When Paul said these gifts were explicitly given for the express purpose of perfecting the saints, the Holy Spirit wanted to convey an important point. This perfecting, he said, this perfecting work was and is so critical to the health, well-being, power, and effectiveness of the church in the earth then and for the remainder of the church age. The word perfecting is from the Greek word katarizo which is a compound of kata and aridzo. The prefix, prefix kata or kata gives the impression of something moving downward. And the basic meaning of aridzo is to adjust. The word kata is an intensifier and pictures of movement from the top to the bottom. And when compounded with aridzo, it pictures an adjustment or a tweak that is being made from the top to the bottom. It implies that due to these adjustments and tweaks, whatever's been adjusted and tweaked is in good working order and can now function correctly. See, this is what's supposed to be happening every time you and I get together around the word. Adjustments are supposed to be being made tweaks to the way we think, to the way we talk, to the way we live. This is the perfecting that takes place as the result of the gifts in the body. This should be happening all the time. He went on to say this word also pictured people. Now listen, this is what I want to get to today. He said this word also pictured people doing their parts to connect. Somebody say connect. connect. And to assemble. This word pictured people doing their parts to connect and assemble various elements like stones, materials, ligaments, or joints. So when people in the early New Testament heard the word perfecting or katarizo, they would, uh, 
excuse me, they could easily envision leaders doing what they were called by God to do to connect and assemble the various elements of teaching and doctrine in the life of the believer. See, this is what happens when we study the word of God under his anointing. We start connecting dots. Now I've been preaching for the last 20 years of my life. But I experienced something when Sarah and I stepped into this office as pastors. I began experiencing something like I never had before. The word of God coming alive in a way to me. Like I said, like I never had before. And the best way to describe it, it was like connecting dots. Did you used to connect dots when you were a little kid? You get a picture and you don't know what the picture is, but there's dots, one, two, three, four, five, six, and you, you draw that line and it, what does it do? It completes a picture. And that's what started happening for us. And it's what's happening every time we come together around the word, dots, scriptural dots are being connected. See, the Lord wasn't doing that for us just for us. It wasn't so I could sit in the living room and say, Sarah, look at this amazing revelation from the word of God. I love it. I appreciate it. We put it into practice ourselves, but he gave that to us for guess who? The body. It's so that you and I could come around the word of God and take this giant connect the dot page and start connecting this scriptural dot with that scriptural dot. And all of a sudden the picture becomes clear. We see what the word of God is saying. We put faith in it and now it's working in our lives in a way it never had before. Connecting connecting. This is one of the major assignments on these particular gifts, these ministry gifts that connections would be made. But listen, it's not just connecting scriptural dots. It says they also understood that leaders anointed roles were additionally to connect and assemble other believers. Those who needed to be joined as various joints in the body so that each joint could render his or her supply to the body of Christ. Christ will use his fivefold ministry gifts to assist in bringing correction where it's needed, to fix what is broken, to equip and to prepare the body of Christ for works of ministry, so that it's not hindered by the issues that have been, not been dealt with along the way. Another crucial part of their God-given roles is to help each member of the body, you ready? Become connected to become connected and assembled into right places, which will result in the body of Christ becoming fully operational and fully functional. Amen. I didn't realize this, Hugo Michael. I had seen some things in the word before and understood what part of my job was and other ministry gifts, what their job was to for the perfecting, the building up of the body, to strengthen the body. But I didn't realize what else was in that word, perfecting. It was the connecting. Perfecting means connecting. And what a confirmation it was to me over the last week or two as I read that. You remember when I stood up here a few weeks ago and made a commitment to you that Sarah and I and our entire ministry staff was going to do everything the Lord led us to do in 2023 to help you find your place. That that's what this year and beyond is all about. Come to find out, God's going, yeah, Jeremy, that's the job. 
That's the job. For us to make these connections. We've already covered this, but look, it pleased God to put my hand where he put it. It also pleased God to put this part of my arm, this forearm, where he put it. So if this hand is where it pleases him, and this arm is where it pleases him, then it must also please him that they're connected. And really what pleases him the most is the connection. He's pleased, yes, when you're in your place and when I'm in my place, but what he's really pleased with is the joining of the places, the connecting of the places and the parts. And it's no shock or surprise to me that it's going to be in 2023 that we finish out that lobby, downstairs, upstairs. And I'm going to tell you something. We are getting ready to drop a chunk of change on that lobby. And glory to God, we've got it. It's ready to go. But if you go back months and months when we first began talking about it, what's the point of that space? What's the point of that place? It serves, I heard somebody say, it serves no other purpose but what? Fellowship. Fellowship. And for that purpose alone, I'm very delighted to spend what we're going to spend on it. I'm like Paul. I gladly will spend and be spent for it because it's got an assignment. It is, a, it is a huge, thousands of square feet of our church solely dedicated to making connections. To this part, getting connected to that part. Fellowship. It's not dedicated to networking. We're not building that out so that you have access to a higher and greater client base. We're not building that space out so that you can find new deals and work new deals with... No, no, no. That's not what it's... Fellowship. I'm not sure you're hearing me. Fellowship. Not networking, not wheeling, not dealing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you, I'm asking you to protect that space. I'm asking you to protect this property. I am not opposed to to your business growing. I want that to happen. I'm not opposed to people in the church doing business together. I'm not opposed to you bringing business to somebody else, a local business owner in the church. All of that is wonderful. I'm just asking you to make the deal somewhere else. Let's protect this space. It's for fellowship. It's for the growth that comes as a result of fellowship. And we've already had people come in and go, come and go, who I think saw this as a larger pool to grow their client base from. It's not what this is. It's not what this is. You wouldn't think very much of me, would you, if I looked out here and I saw these people and I just saw dollar signs everywhere I looked. You would think, well, that's a terrible pastor. And you'd be right. Well, what about you? Don't just look around you and say, well, that's what I can get from that one and that's what I can get from this one. No, they're not your source. We all have the same source. God is our source. So what's the space for? Fellowship. Making 
these connections. In the book of Psalms, for time's sake, don't turn there, but in Psalm 68, put this on the screen for you. The Bible says in verse 5 that God is a father of the fatherless. That's a reference to his place in the family. He's a defender of widows. What's a widow? Somebody who has lost that layer of protection. And God says, I'll step in. I'll be that for you. It's a place in the family. And this is what God is in his holy habitation. But go to the next verse. It says, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But what's the next part say? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So what does God do with the solitary? He sets them in a family. Well, ask yourself this. What is a solitary person? It's somebody disconnected. Somebody that's not attached. Somebody living life on an island. And people are trying hard every day to make that work. But God is not good and he is not okay with you living isolated and disconnected. That's not his plan. That's not his will. And it hasn't been from like day one or I guess technically day three. When did he make Adam? <laughs> it was early on. And he made him and he stepped back and he said, not good. What? Not good that man should be disconnected, solitary. This isn't good, he said. So from the very beginning, God has never been good with Adam or you or me or any of us living disconnected, solitary, isolated. He's not okay with that. So what he does is he takes the isolated, he takes the disconnected, he takes the solitary, and he sets them in a family. Puts them in a family. And what is he saying to them? Now you're connected. And this is what thrills him so much. Not just you being a part, but being a part that's connected to another part. That's functioning as one body. This, this so thrills the heart of God. He so loves this that when you are in that family, and I want you to notice what's connected to it. It says he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Evidently, your prosperity and mine is largely dependent upon us being in the family that he sets you in. What he's saying is, I'm putting you here, stay here. Oh, come on. I'm setting you in this family, but I'm expecting you to find your place in this family. I'm expecting you to operate in this family. I'm expecting you to bring a supply and a support to this family. I want life flowing to you and life flowing through you. Life's flowing to you through the other members of the family. Life's flowing through you out to those other parts. He sets the solitary in that family and if they'll stay there, they'll experience prosperity. But what did he say? The rebellious. They dwell in a dry land. Rebellious. I don't want to be part of this family. I don't like this family. I wish God had given me a different family. 
What did we read earlier? Stop being childish. Amen. Stupid family. I don't like this family. Yeah, well, it's the one it pleased him to put you in. Which means you've got something for them and they've got something for you. So what's God saying? You better stay there. I've hooked you up there. I'm expecting you to stay there. Now, if you want to rebel to that, you can, but the result is not prosperity. The result is you will dwell in a dry land. You know what a dry land is? Unproductive, doesn't yield any fruit. There's nothing that sustains life there. And if you're living in a dry land, you need to ask yourself, am I not hooked up where I'm supposed to be hooked up? Am I not, am I not connected where I have been divinely connected? People are looking for every other possible answer for prosperity. Well, maybe I haven't made the right investment. Or maybe I'm not spending my money wisely or saving my money. Well, maybe that's part of it. But God's got a way to get to you what you need. But so much of it is dependent on you and me being our part in the body connected to another part of the body. You know what these are called? Divine connections divine connections. And with just the couple of minutes that we've got left, I, I got so much more here, but I, you can come back, right? <laughs> we'll get into it more later, but I want to help you identify divine connections. Don't turn there, but the Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You kind of got to know what was going on in chapter 17. It's when this guy named David fought this other guy named Goliath. And the guy named David, against all odds, won the fight. And at the end of the fight, he chopped off the head of Goliath. I feel like there's a message in there concerning the body as well. I don't know what it is today, but <laughs> just let it paint a picture. And David takes that head and he goes running through the camp with it, chases the Philistines, severed head in hand, screaming, shouting, chases them all the way back to the border, comes all the way back to town. Saul's looking for him, the king. He says, whose boy is that? I don't know. So they call him in before Saul. And here stands David with a severed giant's head in front of the king. 17-year-old kid. You know he ain't letting go of that head. This is awesome, man. Look at, oh, it's so bloody. Look at that. This is amazing. He's standing there in front of Saul. And he began to tell Saul everything. Every, I'm, I imagine every detail of the battle or whatever and it says in chapter 18, now when he had finished talking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and wouldn't let him go back home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Did you catch what happened there? The soul of David was knit 
to the soul of Jonathan. These guys hadn't spent a lot of time hanging out. As a matter of fact, this is the first time they've ever met. And honestly, we don't even know if they've been properly introduced. David's just standing there and there's something about him. Jonathan's like, this guy is awesome. There's something about the way David told the story. There's something about the way David gave God the glory. There's something about the courage that he fought with and, and, and the fearlessness that he, that he embodied. There's something about David and Jonathan's going, I like this guy. And the Bible says their souls were knit together. That doesn't just happen. That's divine. That's a divine connection. And through the course of time, we read that they made a covenant with each other and Jonathan took off that robe. What robe is that? That's the robe of the son of the king. And he took off his armor. What armor is that? That's the armor of the prince. That's the armor of a very high ranking official in this army. And he gave it to David. This wasn't just like, Hey man, you want this? No, this was a covenant exchange. This was what this was, was Jonathan changing David's whole identity. And it was elevating David. He took him from shepherd boy and gave him the status of son of the king. This is what a divine connection would do. It'll bring you up. It doesn't bring you down. It brings you up. It elevates you. That's what divine connections do. They elevate you. They bring you up. This is how you identify whether the relationship, the relationship you're in is a divine connection or a man-made joining. Because God's not the only one knitting souls. We're doing it to ourselves sometimes when it's not his will. But how do I identify a divine connection? Are you being brought up? Is it elevating you? It gave David an increased favor with Saul, with his servants, and with all the people. Yes. Changed his whole identity. Another thing a divine connection will do for us, and what we really need to recognize about it, is that we are receiving from whatever we're connected to. Yes. You are receiving from whatever you're connected to. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, and he said it over and over and over, abide in me, abide in me. That means maintain a living communion, connection with me. Stay with me. And he said, you have to abide in me because the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. You are receiving from whatever you're connected to. I remember years ago, going to minister at a church in another state, we were traveling full time at, at that time. And it was an evening service and I was in the hotel waiting for the pastor to come get me. And I'd gone downstairs to the lobby to wait on him. And I waited for several minutes and realized after looking back at my text message from him, I'm early. I'm like almost a half hour early down here <laughs> waiting for him. But instead of going back to the room, I decided just to hang out. They actually had a little fire pit outside the hotel there. And Nobody else was out there. It was a cool evening. So I went out and I just stood there, had my Bible, just praying in the Holy Ghost, talking to the Lord about the service. And right about that time, a car pulled up on the other side of that fence where the parking lot was. 
and actually two cars pulled up and a young woman got out of one car and she had two young boys with her. A little older woman got out of the other car and I saw the young woman give the boys to the older woman. I'm kind of putting all this together. There's a mom with the boys and the grandma. And so they come into where I'm standing, just, just the grandmother and the two boys. And they come up to the fire pit and they're friendly. Hi, how are you tonight? Oh, good, thanks. How you doing? And she saw my Bible in my hand. And she said, is that a Bible in your hand? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, oh, are you a believer too? Not a Christian, a believer. You know how we just kind of have our own vocabulary and you just learn to recognize, yes, ma'am, I, I am a believer. Oh, wow, where do you go to church? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm in from out of town. I'm ministering at a church tonight and the hotel was about an exit away. You could nearly see it from, the, from where we were standing, the church. And I said, actually, we're just ministering down the street tonight at this church over here called the name of the church. And she goes, oh yeah, we know that church. And she goes, as a matter of fact, we used to go there. We used to go there, which means what? We don't go there anymore. Now, she didn't seem upset. She didn't, it didn't make for an awkward conversation that I'm here to go to this church she used to go to. She seemed fine. And she goes, as a matter of fact, and she put her hands on the older of the two boys and said, as a matter of fact, he was healed of autism there. And the first thing out of my mouth was glory to God because healed of something you can't be healed of? Glory to God. And I just said it out loud, glory to God. But you know what my next thought was? You used to go there? You used to go to a place where your grandson got healed of something you can't be healed? You used to go? She told me the whole story about how it happened. Her daughter had come to church that night. And that night there was a guest minister come in from another part of the country, kind of like we've got coming next week. He came in that night, told his whole testimony of how his son was diagnosed autistic as a young boy, but they stood on the word, believed God, the Lord healed him and delivered him. His son graduated at the top of his class with honors, scholarship, and that young woman who had this, this young boy who'd been diagnosed with autism, it's stirring faith in her. She comes running up to that guest speaker. This grandmother's telling me this whole thing. She comes running up to this guest speaker, tells him the whole thing. My, my son has never spoken. They told me he's autistic and I just want God to heal him. And that man prayed for her that night. She went home and the next day her boy began, making, uh, began speaking. And from that day to the day I was standing there outside that hotel, the grandmother said, now he is speaking on exactly the age level he's supposed to be speaking on. And I'm going, praise God, praise God. But in the back of my mind, what am I thinking, church? You used to go there. See, you're receiving from whatever you're connected to. How many of you know that's a divine connection? There's life flowing there. But what was so interesting was she began to explain to me why they don't go there. I'm not asking any questions. She's just volunteering all this information. And she said, you know, we, uh, we just started studying some different things. We just started kind of down a different track. And she kind of said what it was. And I was familiar with it. And it's not like they weren't born again. Remember, she said, are you a believer too? You know what it was? 
a different doctrine. What did Paul say? That we'd no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Well, we just started studying this other thing and, and she was explaining it to me. And I noticed the more she explained the doctrine, the more intense she became to the point where she told me, and this was the kicker, this was what really got them, why they're not there, why they're over here now, and this was it. You ready for this? She said, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And that was it. This is what's got them all fired up and why they're no longer connected to a place where life was flowing to them because of some doctrinal thing and this big political, if you will, soapbox about the Christmas holiday. And by this time, she's preaching to me. And out of the corner of my eye, I see the pastor in the lobby. So I'm like, okay, well, God bless. Thank you. She's like, look it up. Look it up. Google it. Christmas is a pagan holiday. Google it. I was like, no, thank you. And I realized people are disconnecting from these God-ordained, God-made joinings, these divine connections. And like children, they're being tossed over here and tossed over there. Go ahead, begin, guys. We got to grow up. I said, we got to grow up. And the thought occurred to me yesterday, you know, I've read that for years, don't be children anymore. And I thought about the emotional instability of children and the spiritual instability of children and, and all these things. And those, those things are true. But don't forget, he's talking about the body. You remember when your kids were little? They were about this big. Remember doing this? Whee! Right? Remember you could throw them up, you could toss them around. I mean, with my kids, I used to play this game on the couch. They'd lay on the couch. I'd grab them by the legs and I'd flip them this way. And then I'd flip them the other way. And I, I don't write me your letters. They're fine. And I'd flip them another way. I'd flip them another way. And I could do that when they were three, four. Every once in a while now, my 10-year-old, Jesse says, Daddy, flip me. I'm like, baby, there's no way. They were so easily tossed around. I remember playing in the ocean with them, throwing them into the waves, playing in the pool, throwing them up in the air. I can't do it as good anymore. That's my brother-in-law right there, Jordan, playing guitar. I can't throw him around at all. That's a full-grown man right there. Now when my son Justice, who's 12, he's like, Daddy, let's go wrestle. And I'm happy to let you know I can still handle him. I can, I can throw him around. It ain't nothing. But every time we do, I have this thought, there's coming a day. And every once in a while, I feel it. He'll whack me in the back and I'll think, it didn't used to feel like that when you were four. There's coming a day when this boy's going to be a man and he will not be so easily tossed around. How many believe there's coming a day? For us in this body, I'm not going to be easily tossed. Let every wind of doctrine blow. 
Let it kick up dust. Oh, you see the effects of it, but what is it? Huh? You stay rooted. You stay grounded. Because grown-ups aren't easily tossed around. We're not easily thrown about. When we make a connection, we protect it. And this is what I want to say to you in closing. Go ahead and stand up. So much more here. Divine connections need divine protection. Divine connections need divine protection. You and I are not the only ones that understand how powerful these connections are. Your enemy knows it. I said your enemy knows it. Which is why he's working day and night overtime to get in between you and whatever's bringing you life. To get in between you and the word of life that's coming to you. He knows that word's going to produce something for you. So if he can get in there and weasel his way in and start whispering in your ear, oh, you don't belong here. You don't have a place here. Nobody likes you here. You can't find friends here. What's he trying to do? Separate you from what's bringing you life. Divine connections need divine protection, which means you're going to have to guard against offense. And perhaps we'll talk more about this as the Lord leads us, but all offense is, is separation. And when it tries to come into your life and it tries, believe me, it tries, there ought to be a response so big and bold that comes out of us. I'm not leaving my place. I'm not losing my grace. God connected me here. He put me in this family. I ain't dwelling in a dry land anymore. I'm staying here. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care how somebody treated me. I don't care what the devil's saying to me. He can lie all day and night if he wants to. I'm not leaving my connection. This connection's divine. This connection is godly. There's life flowing to me. There's life flowing through me. And I ain't leaving. I said, I ain't leaving. Amen. Do you realize that your pinky toe is connected to your head? And you're like, wait, what? It is. It's connected to your head through a series of joints and ligaments and muscles, that toe is connected to my head. I don't care what place or part you are in the body, you are connected to the head, but it's through other parts. And if this toe were to get mad and say, I've had it, that's it. It gets mad at the joint because they're together all the time. You know, sometimes there's some friction. That's it. I'm out of here. I don't like this joint. I don't like this knuckle. I don't like this knucklehead. I'm out of here. If somehow that toe were able to disconnect itself, it thought it just connected from the part it was connected to. But what it did was disconnect itself from the head where life is flowing to. Divine connections need divine protection. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 
0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.